Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Iz. Hi, Em. What a week for Jersey to be back on our screens. I'm so happy. I really missed them. It felt good. You know, like I hate that Montville house of Teresa Judice more than anything I can even explain to you, but seeing her and her girls sit in that backyard, it just feels like I'm home. I got to say, I'm really going to miss it. I never thought I would feel that way, but I do. I, I feel it too. And honestly, I think that there's a small part of them that will miss it, even down to the angel wing doors. No, I think they definitely will miss it. There were so many memories made there and it's just such an iconic part of Housewives history, truly. So we'll do Jersey because that'll probably be, I would imagine our shortest section, then Salt Lake City, then Summer House, yes? Yeah. This episode of Jersey was very much a first episode standard classic, setting us up for what the rest of the season will look like and also just kind of getting feelers as to where everybody stands at the current moment. Yes. The other thing is obviously we're releasing this episode of Bravo earlier in the week than we typically do. And we're kind of doing a trial run. So please let us know what you guys think. But our thought process was when we typically release the episodes on a Friday, obviously we're doing that so that we can watch all the shows. Sunday, Salt Lake City, Monday, Summer House, Tuesday, Jersey, Wednesday, OC, and Thursday, Miami. But the thing is at that point in the week, it's already been like five days since Salt Lake City, four days since Summer House. So what we're doing is what if we test it where we release Bravo on Tuesday night or Wednesday night. So Salt Lake City, Summer House, and Jersey will be super fresh. And we'll just be discussing the previous week of Miami and OC on that day. So just a potential new day for at least right now, while these are the shows on the air, we would love to see what you guys think about that. It's a lot to juggle. I mean, that's the thing with the Bravo release schedule. It just naturally is going to have to change as the different shows air on different days, you know? I know. And until you just said it, I really didn't realize that we have a a whole stacked week every single day, a new show. It's crazy. I know. So anyway, let us know what you guys think in our DMs. We're obviously super flexible, but just testing this out. Okay. Shall we begin? Let's begin. Where would you like to start? Because there's a lot of different things happening. I want to say my top line thought, especially because it was kind of the opening scene with Teresa and her daughters was I really feel now the shift from them being kids to now being adults that are involved in the storyline. And I feel like it's such a relatable thing that we all have where every family has some drama that the adults go through. And then there's one day or moment or pivotal time when you sort of turn the corner and your parents start letting you in or you start figuring out what's going on. And I feel like they have very much turned that corner and are now adults that have their own independent relationships with their uncle and with their dad and with their mom and with her boyfriend. And it just, it's really great to see. And it honestly makes it so much more interesting. I feel like Teresa always talked to her daughters about a lot, but now that they actually can contribute to it. It adds so much more to this family dynamic that we've been watching since 
they were babies. I also think something that's happening with Gia is that since she now is very aware that Teresa is not going to be Joe Judice's protector or defender, she almost feels a responsibility to step up to the plate. Not that she doesn't want to and not that she actually isn't really upset, but I also think she feels like she's kind of stepped into that role now. Yeah, I think she's always felt that way. She's always had somewhat of like a maternal protective side of her. So this has really taken it up to the next level. I want to get into the Louis stuff because... Listen, obviously there has been a little bit of a questionable element to Louis this entire time. However, I think that our collective sentiment has kind of been like, Teresa, you went through hell. You deserve happiness more than anyone. So, all right, he has a little bit of a cringe energy, but you know what? If you're happy, we're happy for you. That being said, like, why is everyone so concerned with something that he did that didn't impact them at all? And I get that that's the drama of the show, but like, it's one thing to gossip about it. It's another thing to feel like, he or Teresa has a responsibility to explain it. Do you think I'm wrong? No, the whole idea of even Margaret, who I usually really agree with and think is very trustworthy, at the pool party saying, I think Louis needs to address it. And I'm like thinking in my head, how does she want him to quote address it? Does she want him to get on a pedestal in front of the pool and say, I'm here to address the video? I I didn't understand how she was picturing it to go down and sort of what the explanation was, especially not knowing what conversation he and Teresa have already had in private. I I get it. I think overall, all of this concern is all coming from a place of love and protection for Teresa. I think no matter how dirty or mean even it will get, I think it will get pretty bad with Margaret. All that is stemming and coming from the place of that they want Teresa to be protected and she's gone through so much and maybe they just don't think she's a good judge of character because of her past actions proving that she's not a good judge of character and they all want to look out for her. But at the end of the day, it's almost like what we were saying about Paris and Carter. She is so happy and it does seem like she is aware of these things and it's just the Teresa way to want to pretend on the outside that everything is all butterflies and rainbows. Right. That's the thing. Like objectively, that was fucking weird, but also it's not like it's happening currently. It's not like it's a cheating allegation against Teresa. And quite frankly, I think it would be weirder if he did acknowledge it. That's That was my thoughts exactly. And I love Margaret, but for him to walk in and be like, okay, ladies, I brought you all here. My fiance doesn't give a shit, but since you guys are also personally offended, let me tell you what was going through my head. Like he doesn't owe it to anyone. I also didn't know if she meant address it online publicly because there's so much talk about it. It just felt sort of like it wasn't hurting anyone. By the way, I think the video was fucking weird. He was at some camp where you were like working on yourself, warrior camp. It was all men. I think what Melissa said was it was men who have done things wrong and they kind of go there to reflect and work on themselves. The video was bizarre, but it wasn't like... (laughs) It wasn't Michael Darby walking through the hotel lobby with strippers going up to his hotel room bad. He was doing something to work on himself and talking to an ex-girlfriend about how he wanted to make the relationship better. Is it a red flag that he probably cheated and the rumors of him being sort of a playboy or a sex addict maybe are true and it lends themselves to that? Perhaps. But I just don't think this is like the worst offense that anyone could ever do in all of time. Well, that's what I'm saying. We have actual video footage of Michael Darby sexually assaulting a production assistant and somehow not everybody's up in arms over that. So yeah, I am on your page, even though I still think the whole thing's a little bit bizarre. It's all bizarre, but I don't think it's like, he's not murdering somebody in clear sight here. You know, that's what they were making it seem like. Yeah. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over-the-counter allergy spray. And it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid-free allergy spray. And Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. By the way, that 
30 minutes thing is real. And for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing and itchy nose due to allergies. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. I want to talk for one second about this and then we can move on because I know it's kind of insignificant, but going off of the video conversation, I actually agreed with what Joe Gorga was saying when he was talking to Melissa about it, when apparently Louis upset that he made that comment about saying, I'm missing my brother-in-law right now. Like, yeah. Was it technically a little bit of a jab at Louis? Yes. But what was the alternative? Like leaning into the video, which was something they clearly don't want to talk about. I think it's just Joe Gorga is now in this mode where he wants to be a stand-up comedian. We can talk about that later. I don't think it's going to work out for him, but he wants to kind of do his whole shtick and he's up there on stage. He's feeling himself. They're having this Jersey house husbands event and he wants to be funny. And the question is thrown at him and how easily he could have said something so much worse. I think he said that kind of playfully, but as Melissa said, Louis seems, I guess, very sensitive, especially when it comes to Joe and his opinion on him and maybe took it the wrong way. That's fine. But I agree. It could have been so much worse. And it was sort of his way of brushing it off and not getting into it and almost making light of the situation, which in the end just benefits Louis and Teresa. Also, we've watched Teresa for 12 seasons. We now understand how she operates very clearly and she is nothing if not consistent. But it's so funny when Dolores kind of confronts her about that or just brings it to her attention and she responds in a way where everything is la da Like, how could anybody be surprised about that? You know, of course that's what she was going to say. Of course, Teresa is not going to acknowledge something that could potentially be a little bit negative about her fiance. Well, I was going to say, I loved how this played out where Dolores thought she was bringing something to Teresa as a good friend and telling her something that she didn't know and wanted Teresa to have knowledge of. But Teresa, like they already had fought it out the night before. So then when Margaret and Dolores are comparing notes and Dolores is like, yeah, I told her this thing. And Margaret's like, oh, please. She told me, the Melissa told me they already hashed it out last night. And Dolores says, what? Uh, what are you talking about? She told me she was fine with it. I just loved that whole kind of game of telephone and also seeing it from both angles of from the Gorga side where Teresa and Louis really were unhappy. And then from Dolores' side, being trying to be a good friend and Teresa saying, oh, it's fine. It's no big deal. Especially because we feel like Teresa is always so straight up and honest with Dolores. Like, I feel like that's usually what we say and believe. Oh, she'll, if anything, she'll be honest and she'll tell her real feelings to Dolores. So in this moment to see that not happen, I was like, wait a minute. And I think that's how Dolores felt too. Right. And I think that most of it comes from the fact that if she really kind of leaned into it, she would probably have to acknowledge that if you want to get to the real basics, technically her brother is saying something negative about her fiance. And I think that that's just not something she wants to get into at the moment. No, for sure. Okay. Can we talk about the best moment of the entire episode? Our motherfucking comments by Bravo post showing up on the screen. Truly. I'm not even saying this with any sarcasm because I think if anyone gets it, it's you guys. <laughs> One of the proudest moments of my whole life. Watching that, like 
two minutes before you and texting you in all caps that that was about to come up was one of the more fun texts I have ever sent. I was so happy. We've been waiting for this to happen for so long and they don't need to do that, but it just made sense in this scenario because they're talking about the other comments that sort of piled on encouraging Melissa talking about Jennifer after the reunion. I mean, I remember posting it like it was yesterday. So clearly I remember that. And if you saw the watermark, it was like 47 minutes. It's not one where we caught it like the next day. It was within the hour. No, because they had just finished the reunion or they were allowed to post from the reunion and they were all just kind of going at it. And we're like, okay, we know this is going to be insane. Also, not for nothing. Clearly, we don't own the comment section. They can post anything. But there have been other programs that have posted comments that we clearly had formatted and they've whited out the watermark. You can see that it was whited out. And so I just want to say it's the right thing to do to not do that. And I really appreciate Bravo for not. Oh my God. It just makes me so happy. On the Jersey premiere. Like if I was building a resume at the moment, that is something that I would add to it as you would. I'm putting that in my Instagram bio. Do you think boys on Hinge will think that's impressive? (laughs) Honestly, possibly. (laughs) I knew from the trailer that we were going to get a little bit of a Jennifer Bill Trouble in Paradise plotline. Never in my wildest dreams did I expect that we would get a call out of the cheating allegations in the premiere. And not just a call out, a call out and acknowledgement from Jennifer. I mean, I truly thought this trailer has to just be dramatic and making this way more than it actually is. And like, they're not getting divorced and they're not having this much trouble. Maybe she heard something or people are egging them on. But to see her at the end of this episode say, oh, it wasn't with a office manager. It was with a pharmaceutical rep. Get your facts straight. Are you fucking kidding me? I mean, ballsy of Margaret to bring it up in that way, especially when they were trying to mend their relationship and it took a real big left turn, but holy shit. I mean, it was not on my bingo card for Jennifer to not freak out at Margaret, but to actually correct her as to the occupation title of the mistress. No, that's, I mean, by the way, kind of epic of Jennifer. Cause that really, not, you can't do anything other than that to catch them off guard. But that's exactly what we always say about the comebacks. Like Once you acknowledge what happened and you're not necessarily defensive about it, but you actually kind of play into it, you automatically remove the power from everyone else in the situation. Like their daggers can't hurt you if you're the one putting the dagger into yourself. Right. I honestly think it was such a power move. I think so too. I loved it. And if I'm being honest, I have a bad taste in my mouth from the way that Jennifer handled that entire thing with uh, Margaret sleeping with her boss last season. I really did not like that. That felt gross to me. And it was something that, I view to be a slight character flaw in Jennifer. So this gave me some positive checks in her book. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think she knew what would be the best protection for her in that moment. And if that's how she's going to play this, it's going to be a good season. Good season. I'm really excited. Me too. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like, Generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. 
So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. And it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. I would like to start out the Salt Lake City section by reading a screenshot of an Instagram story from Sammy Fishbein, who's one of the founders of Betches, because to me, this is the most prominent question in my mind. And I really just welcome everyone's ideas on the subject. Yes, read it. Okay. So somebody asked, I need to understand Meredith's insane loyalty to Mary. And Sammy responded, this is the strangest and least comprehensible element of the show. Nothing we've seen explains this dynamic, which suggests that there's a lot of context we're missing as viewers. And that naturally makes me think there are other huge pieces of info we're missing in general about the entire cast. Unfortunately, I don't have a theory that doesn't seem very far-fetched, but I have a feeling the real explanation will be fairly simple. I think filming is on a tighter time frame than the editing makes us think, and we're seeing it delayed, aka we have more info than the wives know during filming. So maybe she simply bet on the wrong horse because she was blinded by her hatred of Jen, perhaps for a reason we don't officially know. I mean, I very much agree with that statement. I mean, at the most basic level, clearly there is so much happening behind the scenes that is not being shown on the actual show. There has to be, and there has to be other things, not even just between the women, but in their own personal lives. And even in Meredith's vendetta against Jen that are way deeper than they're admitting on the show. I mean, again, I say, I almost have no idea what happened this week too, because there is so much going on and they are just adding layers and layers and layers to this story and the dynamics and what's going on. It's like, we're not even talking about Jen going to jail anymore. Like we're not talking, it's just, it's absolutely mind blowing. And for us who literally study this show and take notes and analyze it, and it's still hard for us to understand, I don't know how people who just casually watch it in the background while they play on their phone can even have the slightest idea what's going on. I know I'm feeling so all over the place. And I actually want to start out with a comment Meredith made on Watch What Happens because that can go back to what we were saying last episode. So obviously, as you all know, there's been speculation that somebody Meredith was hooking up with, Jen also hooked up with. And Andy directly asks her about this rumor to which she responds, Seth and I have not been with other people in over two years. And as far as I'm concerned, Jen is in a monogamous marriage. So I don't know what she's doing. I can't speak to that. Basically didn't really acknowledge it. However, didn't act like it was not a possibility. Yeah. And I have to imagine that if she was cheating on Sharif, I don't know though, actually, maybe I don't think that she would rat her out because I think that involves two people. And I do think that Meredith has respect for Coach Shaw separate and apart for, from Jen and is not trying to out Jen for cheating on national TV where her husband and her children could see and hear about it. So I, I do think it maybe was just a morally right thing that if she does know something, she's not trying to put it out there and also like hurt herself in the process. What's the point? Completely. And also, I think she knows how hypocritical that would come across since her entire thing is like, do not mention a word about my family. So then for yes. her to turn around and do that, she, it would it would almost just look embarrassing. Yeah, it would completely weaken her argument and everything that she hates about Jen. I bet she probably wants to do it so fucking badly, but I applaud her if that is why she's not going there. 
wait, something else I have to say, and I wish I screenshotted the story. It was also from Sammy, who, by the way, as a side note, her ad is at S-A-M-I, and she's one of my favorite follows on Instagram. Another thing that somebody said about Salt Lake City was asking just like what the deal is with Whitney, how she's trying to kind of be an instigator. And Sammy's response was basically something to the effect of like, there's got to be a conversation with Whitney because she is down to be the shitster. However, she gets her facts so jumbled that she always does it in like the least cohesive way. And I can't explain to you how much I agree with that. It's like when you're so close, you're almost there, but you're hitting at just the wrong thing that's yeah, it's going to get a reaction, but it's not going to get a reaction to the stuff that we actually care about. Well, maybe that's why it ends up being so confusing for us as an audience, because think about it. When like Lindsay Hubbard on Summer House is coming in and stirring the pot, right? She knows who said what, what time, where they were, who this, that, and the other thing. So we are hearing it from her and she's stirring the pot and nobody can kind of come back at her and say anything was wrong because she has everything fucking right. So that's almost what I need from Whitney is to come with a clipboard of her facts and make sure that everything she's saying is correct. And if she was a shit stirrer and had her facts straight, it would be so much easier for everyone involved. To me, it's not even so much that her facts aren't straight. It's that somehow she sees the bigger picture and chooses to hone in on potentially the least substantial element of it. Right. That also is true. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I know this is a major skip ahead, but I'm going to physically combust if we don't talk about the hot mic moment and then also Meredith's follow-up on Watch What Happens. The most iconic hot mic freak out ever. Like- that is what I want. That is the kind of behind the scenes, talking the, to the producer, upset, real raw emotion that I needed. And you know what? I felt like Lisa was going to combust at some point, And this was almost like satisfying for me. I love Meredith. I love Lisa. I really love, and I want them to be friends. I don't think that's going to happen in the near future. However, I almost felt really just satisfied for Lisa. Like she had to get this out. Okay, so this is a really important follow-up. Yesterday, Be There in 5 posted, can anyone help me understand if this mic toss means that Lisa Barlow thought her mic was off or was it left on for this rant? Because as you know, at the end of the rant, she threw her mic. Lisa Barlow responded to Be There in 5 story and said, it was off, they used a boom, I was quitting. Meredith then posted a screenshot of that and wrote, hmm. And then her next story was a photo of a boom and wrote, For those of you who are not familiar with the boom, please see below pic. It requires someone to hold it. If it was outside the door, we would have seen it. And if it was inside the room, she would have. Hashtag stop the lies. So just to clarify where we're at, Lisa was saying that her mic was already off and that there was a boom without her knowledge. And Meredith is basically saying she calls bullshit on that. Yeah. And another post before the episode aired, people had gotten like the full audio of Lisa everything she said. So Cece loves you on Instagram posted it and Meredith commented, why do you think this is a hot mic moment? Because the name of the Reddit thread is hot mic moment. And Cece wrote, because it was not said on camera, if this is not true, please feel free to clarify so can adjust my post. And Meredith said, you can watch and make your own decision after seeing it. I have my opinions. So something between all of this again, we know Meredith speaks in riddles and circles that she's not saying something, but Maybe she thinks it was purposefully said on camera, or maybe she thinks she was telling somebody. I don't know what she thinks, but I also do know, based on what Andy said on Watch What Happens, that she sees it for the first time the day before the reunion, and then they sit down face-to-face. Oh, it's going to be a fucking bloodbath, that reunion. But yeah, Meredith thinks that this was very intentional on Lisa's behalf. And when Andy asks her about that directly, she basically says that she cannot comprehend that level of anger. She's like, I do not understand how she could be that angry or where it was coming from. And two other things, she directly responds to the claim about her fucking half of New York by saying she's never even slept with 10 people in her life. And then second of all, when Andy asks about Lisa's claim of Meredith's family posing, her response is basically like, well, maybe she's the one that's projecting because she's been posting a lot of photos of her family posing, but who am I to say? Something like that. So this is, you know, February that we're in now. Like shit is not good with them. No. I mean, this is just a prime example of having so much built up and so many things that you think about someone kind of in your back pocket and then absolutely losing it and just blurting out everything you can think of or bad things that you have thought about them. I mean, 
this was nuts, right? Like hearing Lisa say those things, we thought in the preview when we saw it last week that it was just the she's fucked half of New York thing. That was bad enough. But then to see that it was a full like 45 second rant about every single part of her life, her relationship, her family, her finances, the fact that she doesn't buy a house, she rents, her husband always switches jobs. Like there was not one stone left unturned. No. I mean, you could tell that this was all built up anger. And I have to say it was wrong of Lisa, clearly, you know, whether you want to think that it was intentional or not, like whether she thought it was going to make air or not, that's a separate conversation, which we can totally have. But in general, the stuff that she was saying was objectively mean. So we can say that. I will say though, I really understood why she was getting so pissed at that dinner. Oh, it was the most frustrating dinner ever, especially for Lisa. Like, again, I think we said it last week that we felt very sympathetic for Lisa and also really understood her side. And I think she feels fed up. Like, she has been, like she said, the punching bag for Meredith for so long. She now is getting everything turned on her for being such a bad friend. And she hit her boiling point. I don't blame her. The whole thing was really, really frustrating. You know, just Meredith aside for a second, because obviously I understand if I'm Lisa, I'm really pissed at Meredith in this moment. Like here she is staying completely silent when my character is called into question, yet she's quick to kind of weigh in when it impacts Mary. But just that aside for one moment, if I was Lisa, I'd be so pissed at Jen. Like, can you give it a goddamn rest? What do you have against me so much that you can't even allow the conversation to go elsewhere without coming directly at me? Like, I'm not saying Meredith handled the whole thing well, but Jen, just give it a fucking rest. Not right now. No, she can't let it go. And I think Lisa is just, she's so over it at this point. And it's like, she also now feels that she has done so much for both Meredith and Jen and neither of them recognize it or give her the respect back. And it's like, you guys don't even understand that I went to bat for both of you. I know it doesn't look that way. Maybe from your perspectives, you think I did more for the other, but now both of you don't respect it. And it's like, what else am I supposed to do? I kind of agree. Like, I don't know. I I feel bad because I feel like I get it. Like you're trying to just be a good friend, do the best you can stay afloat, keep your relationship with both of them the best you can, not pick sides, but also not offend the other one. I mean, it's impossible. And listen, I don't agree with everything Lisa does. I think she does try to get ahead of the narrative and keep her hands clean and blah, blah, blah. She has her weak points. However, I understand how sitting here, she's like, come on, I just was trying to be a good friend. I didn't do anything wrong to either of you. Like, just cut me a fucking break. But the other thing is that it was so poorly timed. Like in the moment, they are talking about something that happened with Mary and Jenny that day or the day before. You know, like this was all a very relevant conversation. Yet Jen is incapable of not throwing out the Lisa card. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, yes, she's pissed about it. Don't get me wrong. But I think she knows that the more she jabs at that, the more tension it's going to cause between Lisa and Meredith. And I know this is kind of a cynical thing to say, but I genuinely believe that Jen gets off on tension between Lisa and Meredith. I know, but don't you also think that somewhere deep inside of Jen, she really wants to be friends with Meredith again? Like, I think she still cares a lot about what Meredith thinks. Like that moment the day before when they hugged and sort of had a nice discussion was like the highlight of Jen's life. Oh, totally. I think that she idolizes Meredith in a way. So yeah, maybe she wants to win Meredith back from Lisa and the farther Lisa is away, the closer she could get. I don't know what she thinks. It's just, again, that's why the dynamics are so confusing because I feel like they all really care about pleasing Meredith or being friends with each other, but also they hate each other. Yeah, it's 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 not it's just really not a good situation for anybody involved. It's so unhealthy. I know. I, let's shift gears for just one second to talk about the Mary and Jenny conversation because, you know, the, the thing is, it's really hard to watch this now knowing what we know about Jenny, and I'm trying to watch it without having that knowledge. Yeah, it's it is hard because I think let's say none of this ever came out about Jenny or wasn't existent about Jenny. And her character wasn't completely like we know what it is. We would say we feel so bad for Jenny. I was understanding where Heather was coming from and saying like, we're all in a house together. You have to just, you know, have like a common ground level of just courtesy for people you're being around. And Mary was not having that. But then, you know, we know 
more about Jenny now, it's like you kind of don't feel that bad. I know. And I have to say, there's a part of Mary that I, I don't know if respect is the wrong word, but I guess I'm just kind of in awe of where it's like everyone else on some level is pretty fake. You can call that courteous, but whether you want to call it courteous, cordial, fake, whatever it is. And Mary is willing to just say exactly how she feels, which is basically, I find you a little bit annoying. I find you a little bit rude. I really don't want anything to do with you. So on some level, you got to respect that honesty. But what Heather was trying to say without actually saying it is like, we are on a show together and saying that you just want nothing to do with this person and like putting them out of your life. It can't work when we're on a cast together. No. And also we're like a couple of women living in a house for the weekend. She felt bad for her friend, Jenny, who was just being sort of picked on for no reason and not getting any anything in return when she was just try, trying to slightly try with Mary. So, I mean, I get it, but also I'm obsessed with, <laughs> with Heather at dinner. Mary starts like saying, oh, you don't have a husband when they're talking about who sent them on the trip. And Heather's like, I know that. You think I think I have a husband? And she says, who are you married to? Your step-granddaddy? And Jen's like, I said this shit last year. <laughs> I like was not expecting that because it did, it went from zero to 100, but I actually laughed out loud. Well, because that was such a below-the-belt comment from Mary. Not that, again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with not having a husband. However, Heather is very sensitive about that. Like It is a trigger for her. And so to, to throw that out as a jab, it was just mean. It's so mean. It almost reminded me of when Larsa last week was like, oh, I don't judge you for having a kid out of wedlock. Yes. Like, what? Such Larsa wedlock energy. Yes. <laughs> Larsa wedlock energy. <laughs> no, but for real, it's like you just pulled that out of thin air. Yeah. I, I'm not that Nicole was insecure about it at all, but still it's like, whoa, we do not like talk about that. I divorced my husband, the father of my three children. I'm actively, you know, dating and trying to get my life back together. And on top of it, I am here on a trip that supposedly, I mean, who knows the real deal, but that supposedly all of your husbands paid for and nice were nice enough to include me in because I don't have a husband. I'm sure she was feeling that throughout the weekend. If, you know, they're treating them to all of this, that's an uncomfortable situation. She's grateful and she loves them. And I think the husbands love her because she's just like amazing and she's a good friend. But like, I was I was shocked when she said that. I was like, you can't just say that, Mary. Again, that goes back to what you said, just zero, zero, zero filter. And Heather wasn't even attacking Mary in that moment. It sort of just got to that place. And then Heather's comeback was just, I mean, hilarious. Also, what a bizarre thing with, out of all things in Lisa's life, taking aim at her eating habits. I know. I think, again, it's just how her mind works, like thinking that Lisa is so immature and was just saying you only eat junk food and almost calling her like a little girl. Yeah, but it, I really didn't like that. I mean- I know. It was almost more hurtful than if she had, had said anything else. Yeah. It, and <laughs> saying that you raise your kids eating junk food. It was wrong. And it also was like a little bit classist. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? I know. Like, obviously, Lisa can afford to eat whatever she wants, but the sentiment behind it just- felt off. I don't know. I, I, mean, I know. And bring, and then almost like pivoting and bringing her parenting into it. She was really hitting below the belt. I mean, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, she really was. I, I understand just so deeply why Lisa got up from that table. Again, what she said about Meredith was fucked up. And I think that it was it probably did irreversible damage, but God, <laughs> if I were her, I would have been like, we are literally not talking about me right now. No, I know. And I get why Lisa got up. I think everything had been mounting that whole weekend. It wasn't just this isolated incident. And it is interesting to hear her say, like, I was quitting. Because I think at that moment, she was just so fed up with the whole thing and realized it was ruining her relationship or had already ruined her relationship with Meredith. And now was starting to, like, call her character into question. And if we know anything about Lisa, she is really proud of herself and loves herself in a great way. So for this to just be like the center plot line is, oh, everybody tear down Lisa and say what a bad friend she is. I get it. That's not what she signed up for. Yes. And also going back to the Whitney conversation for a second, just to give a specific example, at the end, when she's going back to Meredith about her dad's memorial, like we've kind of moved on from that. 
wait, yeah, why? Why? We moved on from that. Yeah, there maybe there's questions about the weekend. Meredith posted a photo of her reservation at the Little Nell, which is like the nicest hotel, but just sh- to prove that she was there. I mean, look, whatever the circumstances are, maybe it was the day before, maybe it was the day after, maybe Lisa got it wrong. And when she was calling her from the bus when Jen got arrested, it wasn't the actual day of the memorial. Like, at this point, it's so irrelevant. You know Meredith does not want you to bring it up. You know that, again, any mention of her father or her family is going to cause her to erupt the way that you already saw it happen. Why? Why? Also, it came immediately after Meredith's apology for her blow-up. It was almost like a social cue issue. Yeah, it was like, I feel like all the other women at the table were like, oh God, Whitney, no, like you missed, you missed it. Like the time has passed. Right. She, I really like her. Don't get me wrong. I want her to stay. I, I love her. I love her. Yeah. But she fumbles, she fumbles the bag a little bit at times. Yeah, she does. And I think she has good intentions while wanting to potster, which is like a hard balance, but it is there. Yeah. It just, it's like, oh, again. This reunion is going to be absolutely explosive. I can't express to you enough how much I don't think that that hot mic moment was overhyped. I think that's one of the craziest things we have ever seen because, again, to the point I always make, because I think the Lisa Meredith friendship was one of the more real ones we've ever seen going into a franchise. Yeah, I think it was more real, but I think also the way that they have fluffed it up on the show And then on top of it, even if they were enemies, like let's say they came in and they didn't really like each other. Still then the things that Lisa said are so like searing and juicy and like her real honest thoughts. Like I don't think those are things I would ever say out loud ever. So to hear them, I mean, it is beyond. It's beyond. Well, also, by the way, like I said last night, you have been using the word beyond exponentially more since watching Paris and Love. And I love it because I'm doing the same thing. I can. Just I know. I'm sorry. No, I've been doing the same thing. I like, so what? So we're using a little bit of Paris as lingo, like sue us. Yeah, whatever. Like I want to be Paris. Fine. Right, right. No, the other thing though is not that I believe Lisa at all. Like, you know, I, I don't think that Meredith is some giant whore. And if she was, who the fuck cares? But like, I don't believe you know, necessarily what Lisa was saying, but because they were close and because they did have a history and their families were integrated, it naturally feels more intense because I think as the public, you take, you view her with having a little bit more credibility than if like Jen was saying it about Mary. Right. Right. I mean, even just the fact that we saw their families having Shabbat dinner together, regardless if that was like a weekly or monthly regular thing, they still were together and they still had a somewhat close relationship with between the children and the husband and the kids. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, you're right. This reunion is going to be a bloodbath. That's a good way to put it. I'm so excited as well. Uh, same. Of course I'm excited. <laughs> I Again, though, like, are we just skipping over the fact that Jen is literally like being investigated? Well, the only time we were even reminded of that was when Meredith questioned whether she should go to the dinner or not. Yeah, that got interesting because, you know, you really do, it really does come down to who's paying for things. Mm -hmm. And they can't say production cover some, you know, are the husbands actually chipping in anything for this trip? I don't know how that goes. Because I was thinking about Lisa Hochstein said on Watch What Happens Live, like Lenny wasn't happy when she dropped 50K for that hotel suite at the Faena. And it's like, well, that means Peacock wasn't covering it, or maybe they only covered some of it. I don't know. I would love to just like do and see the accounting, not do, I couldn't do it, but I'd love to see the accounting for how these things go down. But Meredith also said on Watch What Happens Live, those diamond necklaces that they got is hers is in possession of her lawyer at the moment because Jen claims to have no assets and no money. So if things do go a certain way, that necklace will go to the government. How crazy that all of a sudden the diamond snowflake necklace becomes like a piece of evidence. I mean, I remember that scene in the very beginning. I think it was the first episode of the season. We were saying, wow, it's so eerie to watch Jen Shaw just 
dropping thousands of dollars on diamonds in the jewelry store. She's clearly close with the jeweler because she comes in and spends so much money and she can just get these gifts for her friends knowing what kind of money fraud was allegedly maybe going on. So now to see these necklaces finally be ready and we're on the other side of this and she's gifting them to the women at the table. I can't believe she did that, by the way. Like here she is going through all of this and I don't know if it she thinks it makes her seem innocent to have her glam there doing her makeup and her hair and throwing this party and giving the women diamonds. Like, are you not a little bit aware of how that comes across? Or does she just think that it makes her seem like she's just brushing off these allegations because they could never be true? Well, I was going to say from her perspective, I get it. Like technically she is innocent until proven guilty. And so why should her lifestyle change in that way? So I can see it from her perspective, but for me, it's, it's definitely not the best look, whether or not that's fair. No, definitely not. I mean, is it a little dramatic for Meredith to hand over the gift to her lawyer? Maybe. I I, Maybe it is the right thing to do. I don't know. But I don't know. It is. Imagine. Just imagine. Yeah. But I mean, listen, this would be a real conversation if it was some Harry Winston piece or like, you know, this ridiculous iced out Van Cleef. A, A diamond snowflake necklace. It's not a make or break situation one way or another. Right. Like this isn't paying back the millions of dollars that she defrauded. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Okay. You want to go to Summer House? Yes, please. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify Eye Drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. This was the Paige and Craig content we have been wanting for months. No, like it it scratched every itch that I needed it to. And you want to know something? Obviously, we are thriving off of getting the beginning stages. But keep in mind, even once the summer is over, we're going to get the real stuff on Southern Charm. So it's not even like we have to mourn the absence of it once the season is over. Right. Like at this point, they've just been hooking up and they only went on one date. They'd only hung out in person a couple of times. So now that they're like in a full long distance boyfriend, girlfriend, serious relationship. I mean, on Watch What Happens Live this week, Lindsay and Danielle both said pretty much like it's end game. Like he's the one. Yeah. And also, I mean, do you guys understand what's happening here? Like when you really simplify it, Lindsay is bringing up a potential love triangle to Paige about her now boyfriend hooking up with Kristen Cavallari as seen by a post on Dumois. Like, are you going to tell me that is not what reality television is made of? No, that is it. That is the dream right there because we were recapping this in real time and not really knowing that Craig and Paige were at all becoming a thing. You know, it sort of was like under the radar because it was when Kristen was doing all those lives with them and they were like hanging out all the time. By the way, though, it is funny that Lindsay has the same question as us when she said to Austin, like, are you fucking her or is Craig? Like, we, no one could really figure out what was going on there because the dynamic was sort of like they were just one friend group with her and Justin Anderson. But the whole thing is just so 
it's honestly funny to me because I saw Paige doing an interview with Bryce Sander and she's like, I was starstruck. Like it's Kristen Cavallari. Like I was like, oh my God, am I going to get to meet her? Right, right, exactly. And the other thing was when Lindsay said it to Paige, one, she technically knew she didn't have like a quote right to be upset because you know, they weren't exclusive. She was kind of fucking up with Andrea, but also it's not as though she hadn't seen that. She just assumed that it was Austin. So it was like very different because it's not like it was new information to her or information she was necessarily mad about. It was just putting together pieces that she had kind of assumed were different. The whole way it went down to me was just the most fascinating it could be because Lindsay, of course, doing her Lindsay thing stirs the pot. And I don't think it was wrong, but I don't think it was right. I I just think it happened. And yes, maybe she was trying to protect Paige, but did it really need to happen the second that he walked in the door and she's so excited about having this weekend with him? Probably not. But also when Craig and Paige are having this sort of back and forth about it in the room and Sierra and Maya are there and and they're sort of defending her and then the Austin part gets involved and he's just like gaslighting Paige, but they're defending her and then also bringing in the Austin and Sierra. It, It was just like, it was so messy, but I also did like how I could feel that Paige and Craig sort of were already this united front where she, they have this whole fight and she, goes into his room so that they can sit down and talk about it. Like she didn't even wait to sit down with Sierra. She really said, I want to talk about this face-to-face with Craig, which I think says so much about their relationship at that early stage. Oh, totally. And to be clear, I don't think that Craig handled it the best with Lindsay either. Like I don't love the way that he came at her. And also in the process of doing so, he completely kind of negated Sierra's feelings. You know what I mean? Like here he was making a claim about Austin and Lindsay in front of Sierra, which I get it. It wasn't his sole focus in the moment, but the way he handled it wasn't necessarily right. I get that, but you're so right. The real point to talk about was the way that him and Paige handled it together. I just have to wonder, you know, if Craig was annoyed with Lindsay because he felt like she was just being intrusive or if he was annoyed because he felt like she had an ulterior motive because of her jealousy associated with Austin. Yeah, I think it it was a little bit of a mix of both. But I do think that in that moment, Craig just like, it's the way he operates is that he wanted to make things look better for him. So he had to tear down Austin, who, by the way, is literally his best friend in the world, and say everything bad that he could about him and make him look like he was a liar or that he spins things. I mean, I do think also, like, yeah, he was probably hooking up with Kristen, but Paige was hooking up with Andrea. Or she was maybe thinking about it with Andrea. And I think it was hurtful, but like they both kept saying, we're not exclusive. We're allowed to see other people. I think they wanted to become exclusive at that point, but it maybe felt too early. Well, the thing is, like, obviously you never want someone else to experience pain. However, if you are just not exclusive with someone and you're just talking up and then you get this knowledge, the way that you react is very telling to yourself about how you feel about the person. So the fact that even though Paige wasn't mad, she was very rational. When she was sitting on that bed with him, she shed a tear. And to her, I think she's probably like, holy shit, I'm I'm sad about this. And what does that mean? Right. Like I, I care and I want him to not be hooking up with other people. I, I agree. I think it was like a reality check moment in a good way. But Uh, watching this knowing what we know happens is so much easier than knowing if they didn't end up together because it could have become a goddamn disaster. If they really do end up together, it's going to be so fun to tell their kids how this all started and then for one day their kids to be able to watch them. Do you realize how crazy that is though? Like I even rewatching Atlanta right now to literally see the moment that Kim lays eyes on Croy for the first time And now they have six kids together and they're still together. They're married. They live like they're going to grow old together. It is absolutely insane. Like they met, became friends doing this reality show and this will outlive the show. Like that is just so wild to me that this now will become like really their life. It's not part of TV anymore. Oh my God. I know. I mean, also much smaller scale, but Portia with Simon. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's a there's a lot of those moments. It's it's really wonderful. I mean, as much as reality television is a terrifying practice to me, I do envy the documentation that people have over these really transformative moments in their life. 
Right. Even watching them on Winter House together where they barely interact or we don't really see them interact, even though they both had crushes on each other, they were both sort of in these weird relationships. Like that is going to be so funny to watch back and like have one day. It's just the whole thing. I love, I love them. I can't stop watching them the way that she lit up when he came. I loved the conversation with him and Andrea and how Craig was willing to say, like, honestly, I handled it sort of in a pussy way and I I didn't want to hurt you. Just like, it was all great. And by the way, I actually had a lot of respect for the way that Andrea handled it. And I don't mean to, you know, give praise for the bare minimum. I do think that that was the mature adult way for them both to handle it. But realistically, when feelings are involved, sometimes people blow up and, I guess my point is if that was Kyle, for example, it would not have gone down in that way. But it was such a level-headed, honest conversation that to me really felt like it had no ego or pride in it. You know, Craig could have so easily said, I didn't know you anything. But his response was like, you know what, dude, you're kind of right. It was a pussy move and I'm sorry. Yeah. And I really like you. I want to still be friends. I shouldn't have just dodged you at all costs. I, I want to keep our relationship. But also it was mature of Andrea to almost take the L because I think think about what we had seen from him just the week before where he's flirting with Paige. He wants to try and maybe make things happen again. He's definitely into her and says he feels so comfortable around her. And now he kind of has to look at Craig and say, you might just got to have to take this one. I can tell that her feelings are way stronger for you and I'm not going to get in the way of that. And I wish you all the best. Yeah. And that is absolutely the appropriate way to handle it. And aside from the fact that it's a lot of respect for both Paige and Craig, it also shows a lot of self-respect. You know, you have to be able to operate with the mindset where it's like, I deserve somebody who given the choice of two people is going to choose me. And if that's not you, that's totally fine. But let me go find that person. Yeah. I mean, he he probably will be at their wedding. He totally would be at their wedding. And also, by the way, you look amazing in the tux and I'm sure that he'll bring a beautiful date. Yeah, exactly. I want to talk about Kyle and Amanda at their apartment. Yeah, really interesting, like seeing them on their home turf. I think that obviously Kyle was under a lot of stress and that's true. But as Amanda said, the two things can exist. Like you can be really overstressed and maybe blow off some steam, but you also can still be respectful to me as your fiance and like keep me in the loop. So it's not really an excuse. Maybe it gives a little bit of understanding as to his behavior, but it's still off. But my takeaway from this scene was this was a prime example of like, how are you going to wrong me? And then I have to comfort you. What stood out to me weirdly the most was he kept saying, you guys, I went out and you guys all went back and it was only like 11 o'clock. And, you know, there is a certain point in your life when the 2 a.m.s turn into 11 p.m.s. Like, that's okay. And it, it just was like he really much clings on to this old party lifestyle that it isn't really a reality for them anymore. Yeah. And I think that, you know, part of what's happening for him is like, he's subconsciously mourning that phase in his life. Right. And he posted an Instagram with her with photos from watch Robbins live. He said, proud of my wife, not going to lie. The last couple of weeks have been tough. Watching yourself make stupid decisions on TV is worse than just reliving it because it's out there in the world for everyone to judge. Yes, that's what we signed up to do, but reality TV is hard enough. Doing it in an evolving relationship over six years is a totally different ballgame. Factor in my past, working together, startup stress, lawsuit, debt, supply chain, chaos, oh my. A second TV show and trying to plan a wedding three years in the making over five venues and four dates amid COVID. I mean, these are not normal conditions. I'm so glad we made it because it was literally against all odds. I love this woman. She crushed it last week on Watch Robin's Live, despite the inevitably tough questions from Andy. And I'm just relishing how lucky I am to have her. Love you, Amanda Petula. Again, by the way, nice pose, but a lot of excuses. Right, a lot of excuses. I don't know. I, whatever. If she forgives him, he can be forgiven. I, you know, It doesn't benefit anybody to drag it out, but I don't think I would have necessarily been satisfied with that. But then again, I'm not married to the guy, so it doesn't matter. You know, I do hope, though, that the fact that they are married, it is kind of a backwards mindset, but I hope that the stress of the wedding and also like this holding it over each other's heads of like, will we or won't we? Are we going to make it down the aisle? Are you going to call off the wedding and this be a whole drama not being a factor anymore? Maybe we'll just lighten the mood a little bit. And it's not so much pressure. Like now they can sort of just be married and it's not 
oh my God, is Amanda going to call off the wedding on me? And this whole, all this pressure and the contract with her parents, like that all is now behind them. So hopefully it will make things better. Maybe I'm just being optimistic, but I just, I feel like that was a lot of their anxiety. No, I agree with you. I'm not saying that's the healthiest mindset, but there's definitely something to be said for that. Like just in general, think about anything in your life when there is something that's kind of hanging over your head, it can sometimes escalate a situation. Obviously though, the counterpoint to that is, I don't know if a wedding should be viewed as like something hanging over your head. No, I mean, we're just too far past that point now. I also, on the flip side, don't want it to be like, oh, we're married, what's she gonna do? Like we're comfortable, you know? Yeah, I didn't know about that $4.2 million loan though. No, I mean, that's that's anxious. It, it, no, of course it's anxiety provoking. Although the the one thing that I don't love that he does, and maybe he's not doing this and I'm just viewing it in this way, is I don't want to say he's condescending to her when they're talking about business, but he does act as though he has almost a different perspective than she does, which like, I don't know enough about the inner workings of their business to know whether that's true or not, but I sometimes find the way that he describes it to be slightly like condescending or infantilizing. Yeah. I think he just makes it very, very clear that he is the owner CEO of the company and that she is not, and that her work is clearly less significant and she has way less pressures than he does. And he wants to make sure that not only she knows that, but we as viewers make it really clear, which by the way, probably could be the truth. Like being the CEO, putting the money in your name and running the company is different than the graphics designer. This is not a normal situation where it's just someone that's hired. He, She is now your wife. So your problems are her problems. And you guys work at a company and own a company now together, basically. You can't, it's like, you can't do that. Exactly. Like your future is also going to be her future in a few short months. Yeah. Yeah. What else do you want to talk about? I don't know. I just love this episode. Robert surprising Danielle. Danielle on Watch Happens Live for the first time with Lindsay was absolute magic. I'm really happy that this Robert Danielle scene happened. Like I know last week you were the one being like, I don't even know why we're talking about this fight. Like they are so end game and this was such a minor little blip. And I agreed with you, but I also just so knew what she meant by that feeling of like wanting more time with him. So for him to make the effort, I just got so happy when I saw her face light up. Like that is what she deserves. Yes. And it totally washed away everything of the last weekend and probably made her realize he loves me so much when he has time, he wants it. Yeah, I, I'm just so glad that, that that whole thing happened. The thing about Danielle is when she said to him, I felt like I was taking crazy pills last week, really what she meant by that is like, in general, she approaches things very rationally. And so I think it's rare for her to get upset. So when she was getting upset, she knows herself well enough to know that that upset was warranted. And so like for him to acknowledge it and then to make it better, I think it just made her feel probably a lot more centered. Talk about trustworthy narrator. Danielle is... Uh, high up on that list. We should make our ultimate list of trustworthy narrators. Oh my God. We should do it like a bracket. Yeah. That's, that's really fun. Let's, let's make that an asset. Okay. Wait, one last thing that I wanted to say is I'm glad that Austin didn't come this weekend because I think that it would have been a shit show with Lindsay and Sierra. Oh my God. It would have been a shit show. And I, I felt for Carl. I don't know. I think he's really trying to like feel it out with her and also knows that she has feelings for Austin. I mean, the whole conversation at the dinner table too is just awkward when they bring it up. Lindsay obviously brings it up in front of everybody about Craig and about Austin. It's just like, I don't know. I don't know what he really wants to do, but it is it is messy. Do you think that at this point in the show, Lindsay is feeling jealous over the budding Sierra Carl sexual tension? Or do you no. think that you don't think so? No. And based on what she said on Watch Robins Live, it was like the end of the summer, Labor Day. Her and Carl had some like come to Jesus conversation where they both realized like we should try and make this work and that we really do have feelings for each other. And they didn't even hook up, I don't think, she said. So at this point, by the way, she was telling Carl, oh, I met this guy. He's taking me to Mexico. No, wait, hold on. I want to clarify my question. I don't think any of it was conscious or her thinking that she had any like reason to do so. I am just wondering if somewhere below the surface, one of the reasons that she was feeling fed up with Sierra was because she had a hint of jealousy, like a twang. Yeah. Maybe not jealousy, but maybe just like 
territorial over Carl. Mm -hmm. And because she doesn't necessarily love Sierra, like, I just don't think she's her favorite person. I don't think they mesh. She was almost like trying to make it not happen or just wasn't having the best feeling about it. Not so much in a way that she wanted to be with Carl at all at that point, but more like Carl is mine. We've been through so much together. I'm his best friend and I want the best for him. Mm -hmm. Completely, completely. Yeah. I I just love this show. I mean, I don't know what to say. It's my favorite show. I know. I'm so sad every week when it's over. And it really, it's, it really is sad. (laughs) We have so much left. By the way, Craig looks so hot with that backwards hat. Don't get me started. I literally texted you, fine, I'm in love with Craig Conover. Sue me. (laughs) Sue me. Okay, but the thing is, when you take him out of Charleston and it's a little bit less pastel and he looks a little bit more like this, you know, New York Hamptons boy. He's in in white linen pants and a short sleeve button down at Southampton Social. Come on. Talk about my type. Talk dirty to me. Seriously. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That why does that happen? We keep thinking that. Like even with Austin and Vermont, something about them being in Charleston made them feel such a different way. And then to see them maybe just because we feel like more connected to the Summer House cast because they are more almost like us. I don't know what it is, but something about taking the boys out of Charleston really does something to me. It really does something to me. I mean, for Austin, it's a hundred percent because of the Madison connection. And for Craig I don't know. It's just an evolution. But we didn't feel this way about Craig when he was in Vermont. So it's just interesting. Maybe there's just something about the Hamptons. There's something about the Hamptons. (laughs) Anything else you would like to add? I guess that's it. I'm sad, but what a good week. Yes. I don't think I have anything else, but the one thing is, like I said in the beginning, DM us. Like, don't, Please God, don't write it in a review. Just DM us and let us know what you think about this potential new schedule for the next few weeks where we would release the episode earlier in the week and then the shows that would have the longest length from air date to discussion would be OC and Miami. It just feels like that's the general vibe, but we're trying to get a sense. We're switching around things to see how everybody feels. So please don't write a bad review if you're not a fan. Just DM us kindly and we're going to take all the opinions into account. And submit your your vote for a most trustworthy narrator. Yes, we can make a giant bracket. Yes. Okay, we love you guys so much, Isabel. I love you so much. Love you more. (laughs) 